C. diff, spores, and more is brought to you by Clorox Healthcare, trusted solutions for your infection prevention needs. Visit us on the web at cloroxhealthcare.com. Welcome to C. diff, spores, and more with your host, Nancy Kerala. We are here to discuss C. diff, healthcare-associated infections, and other related healthcare topics. Now, here's your host, Nancy Kerala. Well, welcome to the program, and we welcome our listeners joining us today. We would like to thank our sponsor, Clorox Healthcare, for making this program possible. Please visit the Clorox Healthcare website to learn more about their products, keeping environments safer. CloroxHealthcare.com forward slash Radio. Well, it's a great pleasure to welcome our guest today, Maureen Spencer, registered nurse, master of education, and board certified in infection control. Today, Maureen joins us to discuss the keys in preventing C. difficile. And at this time, we'd like to welcome our guest to the program. Thank you so much for joining us today, Maureen. Thank you, Nancy. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, we're just so glad you are here, and thanks so much for taking time out of your busy schedule. And Maureen, before we um, start the interview and discussing all these great topics, would you <laughs> mind taking a moment to just um, share a little bit about yourself with the audience? Sure. Well, my career started, I guess, when I was 15 years old, got a job at Boston City Hospital in the uh, microbiology lab. So I was the planter, and I planted the cultures all through high school, and then through nursing school, I continued to work there, and they kind of moved me up to be the blood culture girl, so I knew a lot about blood culture. So by the time I became a nurse at 20, the hospital I was training at uh, said, well, you're a nurse and you know bugs, so would you be our infection control nurse? So I'm just a very rare species that I started very young, you know, in the early 70s doing infection control. So I've seen, you know, the world of bugs from what happened in the 70s when things were a lot quieter. And then as we moved, moved along to seeing actually C. diff back in the 70s, we just didn't know what it was back in the late 70s. And then some of the resistance through the 80s and, you know, every 10 years, it seems to be a monster that comes out. But I, uh, most of my career was in Boston at uh, a veterans administration and a community hospital. I was the director at Mass General Hospital for about 11 years and then moved on to New England Baptist and Orthopedic Hospital. And then I was a corporate director of a a 28 hospital system in seven states, which was quite a challenge to see healthcare across the United States. And uh, more recently, I've taken a job in a molecular diagnostic firm that deals with sepsis. So I feel like I've come full circuit, you know, I mean, full circle. My career starts out with me being a blood culture girl, and I'm now with a company that makes a very rapid blood culture system to identify sepsis uh, faster. And uh, as a result, get, you know, reduce the amount of antibiotics that we're using. So, it's fascinating. Maybe someday I'll write a book when I get retired. <laughs> Absolutely. What a unique journey and experiences to share with everyone. Thanks so much oh, yeah. for sharing that. Uh, really, and Maureen, can you explain why C. difficile is a significant healthcare concern today? So, as I said, we, you know, I remember when the first case of, uh, at, at the hospital I was at in Boston, this 300-bed hospital, we had a guy in the ICU who developed this colitis, you know, this horrible diarrhea, and he was on clindamycin, which is one of the risk, drug, you know, antibiotics for C. diff, and they called it pseudomembranous colitis. Uh, that's what they identified it, it by, and then they went on to finally figure out it was, you know, clostridium uh, difficile, but um, what happens is 
why it's a health concern now is that the amount of antibiotics being used has so exponentially increased. Uh, there have been worldwide, they counted up in 2016, that 75 billion doses of antibiotics have been prescribed worldwide. So this is a worldwide problem. I mean, this isn't just the United States. So what happens is, you know, in, a, in the human body, we have about 23,000 genes. And most of those genes, what people don't realize, are microbial in nature, <laughs> not really human. We have over a million of these human microbiome genes, they call them. And so our body is the planet for just like we look out into space and here we are on, on the earth as people crawling around. Well, our body is the planet for these organisms. And a, you know, a good amount of your weight in your body, uh, about three Three to ten pounds is consisted of bacteria. So you know, when you get on the scale, you can kind of, you know, take it off the scale because we are a living planet. They're studying now the microbiome of all the different organs. Fascinating research. Just recently, they're looking at the brain. They're looking at the respiratory tract. I mean, the colon was where they first started. You know, who are the normal inhabiting bugs down there? So imagine if we went to war with, say, Russia, and we sent over all kinds of nuclear bombs and wiped out the Russian population, and the U.S. decides to take over. That's similar to the planet that we are as a body. When you take an antibiotic, that's our artillery that we go in to kill uh, organisms. So we wipe them out, and what happens is the microbiome shifts. And so when you've taken out a, a large group, others will take advantage. We could call them opportunistic. So they'll take an opportunity to overgrow and then start to set up house there. And unfortunately, with something like C. diff, it produces toxins that are poisonous to our colon and our body. So it's, it's a battle. It's just a battle between the bugs and us as humans. But it's the antibiotics, and that's why it's such a concern, um, that we're using too many of them. And as a result of that, we're seeing a lot of patients in our hospitals developing C. difficile infection. Um, People are colonized with it. There have been some studies now showing that patients who are um, being admitted to some hospitals have done these screening programs have found maybe about 4 to 5% of the population carries it. But it depends on where the studies are done. In an ICU setting where they're often using antibiotics because those patients may have um, a pneumonia, a urinary tract infection, they may have trauma surgery, you know, various things like that that can cause them to be on antibiotics. So you might have higher rates in an ICU setting. But by far, it's, it's becoming a national problem. Uh, it's also very costly. It cost, uh, one study out of Virginia, Department of Health, found the average cost of treating uh, a patient with C. diff, uh, I think this was last year, was about $70,000. And they had increased length of stay and increased mortality. Um, so those are some of the problems when you start adding up how many cases we have in the country. It's, it's a billion-dollar business, you know, to handle and to treat C. difficile. Absolutely, Maureen, and thanks for sharing so much information there. And Maureen, multidrug-resistant organisms, what makes C. difficile right. different than the other multidrug-resistant uh, organisms? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I actually don't, personally, that's me, I don't consider C. diff a multiple drug-resistant organism. There are some organisms that are what we call the gram-negatives, like an Enterobacter or an E. coli or a Klebsiella or Pseudomonas. Uh, they may be involved in pneumonia or urinary tract infections or, you know, abdominal-type infections. 
And what happens with them is when they start to develop resistance, which uh, these organisms have multiple ways to do that. They're brilliant. Um, but a lot of times it's an internal thing that's it's down in their DNA and RNA where they're kind of, you know, figuring out ways to produce genes or toxins or ways or, or protect their cell wall so the antibiotic won't work and they become resistant. So then what they do is they pass it to another organism. I remember distinctly when they discovered through an electron microscope, they were looking at these two organisms in a medium, kind of dancing away. You know, there was a Pseudomonas and E. coli. And they saw the Pseudomonas send out this long extension and plug it into the E. coli. And they saw something being like transferred through the tube. And when they took it out, they found that the Pseudomonas had transferred to that E. coli what we call R factors, uh, the resistance factors to the antibiotics. So when they're together, you know, floating around in urine or sputum or in your colon, that's what they do is they say, hey, I'll, I'll give you what I have, <laughs> resistance to antibiotics. So that to me is what an MDRO is, you know, also MRSA, meth resistance staph aureus that have gotten resistant to the penicillins and, and beta-lactams and so forth. And then we have uh, vancomycin-resistant enterococcus. So C. difficile is a little different. It's a result of using the antibiotics so that we wipe up that microbiome, and then they take advantage and overgrow. So I would kind of put them in a separate category than what I considered the gram-negative and gram-positive multiple drug-resistant organisms. That makes sense. <laughs> Exactly. Thank you so much, Maureen, for explaining that. And we appreciate that. Um, really, we do. And Maureen, can you share the specific risk factors for C. difficile? Yeah, there's been a couple of recent papers, one last year that came out of um, a group that also the CDC was involved with, uh, Cliff McDonald, who's kind of our guru at the CDC on um, C. difficile. And they looked at, they published this uh, paper, it was published to the IDSA, the Infectious Disease Society of America, looking at the Association of Antibiotics and C. difficile, and they looked at risk factors. Uh, there were 10 sites involved, and it was, you know, between 2014 and 15. And they found, interestingly enough, that women um, had a higher rate of C. diff, and also if they were greater than 60 years of age. And I would think that goes along with urinary tract infections and maybe pneumonia, but especially UTIs. We get UTIs many more times than, than uh, uh, males do because of our anatomic uh, urethra. And then antibiotic exposure, they found, was a real increased risk factor. They documented that. But the antibiotics were specifically the cephalosporins, which I'm sure many people uh, maybe listening in have taken Keflex, for instance. Or if you have surgery, you're going to be given cephazolin. That's the typical antibiotic used for surgical prophylaxis. And then clindamycin, okay, which is often used like for anaerobic infections, and fluoroquinolones. And those are the ones that we see more and more papers studied. Um, I guess you'd say it'd be Cipro, which is often used for pneumonia. Uh, we had a really bad flu season this year in the United States. And so there was much more um, Cipro that had to be used because that's specifically very targeted for pneumonia, certain kinds of pneumonias. And then there's also the beta-lactam uh, inhibitors that are also in this group. But those three especially, the cephalosporins, clindamycin, and the fluoroquinolones, are our biggest risk factor. But they also found an ED visit in the group that they looked at. That kind of came out as well. And I, I would say that that goes along with bacteremia. Most people who are septic, so bacteremia, they have bacteria in their blood. 
and certain people then go on to develop sepsis and then eventually septic shock. And they usually come in a good 70 to 80% of bacteremia is coming through the emergency department. And, you know, then they get admitted up to the ICUs of the nursing unit. So that didn't surprise me that ED visits were also associated with an increase in C. difficile. Um, so those are some of the, the common risk factors. And then you have in the ICU setting, you know, that's a more unique population that's going to have um, different kinds of risk factors there. And so you've got patients who have um, malignancies, for instance, if they have a cancer, because we know that I always say it's usually not the cancer that kills somebody, it's the infection that they get because they have immunosuppression, especially from the chemo. And then they can have chronic, uh, in an ICU setting, heart disease, kidney disease, lung disease, liver disease. Uh, they see more in the transplant population, both solid and bone marrow, and, and obviously people with HIV. One of the problems they have, again, is they get a lot of infections that are going to require treatment with antibiotics. And a lot of these came from a really good paper from Detroit Medical Center. Dr. Tina Chopra, who's their hospital epidemiologist, um, did a wonderful study looking at CDI and uh, risk factors associated with it. And they also okay. found that um, if they had other HAIs, healthcare-acquired infections, they're going to have to require antibiotics. So that's another group that came out, uh, people that had central line infections or, say, pneumonias or skin infections. So, you okay. know, it's our most susceptible host, as we call it. You know, when the body starts to get very weak and we have to go in and take over defense mechanisms and, and help them, like using an antibiotic as the organism's taken over, mm-hmm. um, they're the ones who are going to be at increased risk, you know, especially exactly. in the ICU. Exactly. And Maureen, thank you so much for sharing that information with us. Um, Right now, we're going to pause for a commercial break. When we return, we will continue discussing the key to preventing C. difficile. Please stay tuned. We'll be right back after these messages from our sponsor, Clorox Healthcare. making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Because C. difficile lives on surfaces for weeks, because it infects nearly 500,000 Americans yearly, you need disinfectants you can trust. Clorox Healthcare bleach products, cited by more studies to kill C. diff than any other products. EPA registered to kill C. diff in as fast as three minutes. Trusted disinfectants to kill C. diff spores in hospitals, because even one C. diff infection is too many. Learn more at CloroxHealthcare.com. Join us on November 8th and 9th at the 6th Annual International C. diff Awareness Conference and Health Expo taking place at the Embassy Suites by Hilton Philadelphia Airport Hotel. For conference information and to register online, please visit the C. diff Foundation's website at cdifffoundation.org or call the main office at 919-201-1512. We can't wait to see you at this year's conference. Call 919-201-1512 or visit cdifffoundation.org and we'll see you in November. The CDF Foundation offers global community support sessions. CDF can affect anyone at any age at any location in the world. Receive support from topic experts sharing information on nutrition, mental health, C. difficile prevention, treatments, and environmental safety. Get answers to your questions. You're not alone. Support is just a phone call or mouse click away. To register for a session, 
Call the CDF Foundation at 919-201-1512 or visit us on the web at cdifffoundation.org. Have you done any of these things today? Exited a restroom? Entered and exited a patient's room? Visited a doctor's office? Have you done this today? Washed your hands? Hand washing remains the single most important task of the day. It takes soap, water, a minimum of 30 seconds, and a clean, dry towel to turn off faucets and dry hands to stop giving germs a free ride. Keep safe from germs worldwide. Hand washing, number one in infection prevention. For additional information on hand washing instructions, visit cdifffoundation.org. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. You are listening to C. diff spores and more. If you have a question, please send an email to info at cdifffoundation.org. Now back to our program. Here again is your host, Nancy Kerala. Welcome back to the program, and we thank you for joining us today. It's a pleasure to reintroduce our guest, Maureen Spencer, registered nurse, master of education, and board certified in infection control. Joining us today to discuss the key to preventing C. difficile. Welcome back to the program, Maureen. Thank you, Nancy. You're welcome. Maureen, I know you're really anxious to speak about the antibiotics and how they play um, a development in C. diff infections. So what exactly is the role that the antibiotics do play in the development of disinfection? So as I stated earlier, um, numerous studies, oh, you just, it is amazing how these studies have already been published about the role, the connection between antibiotics and C. difficile. In fact, very often if people have mild infection, because there's various degrees of infection with C. diff, so if somebody just starts to have diarrhea, which is kind of common, you start to take an antibiotic for, you know, say you get a, you know, um, a Z-pack or, you know, something for UTI, and then next thing you know, you start some diarrhea. And usually the doctor will tell you, just stop the antibiotic, and the diarrhea will clear, because then you can get the good bacteria back in again. In fact, it's really good to eat salads and take probiotics and greens because the salads are loaded with healthy bacteria that we need in our body. So a lot of it's just, you know, good, healthy eating. And, the, you know, another thing I learned from uh, the CDC uh, lecture I went to, the C. difficile loves sugar and alcohol. So, you know, when I deal with people with uh, C. diff, I tell them just stop sugars, you know, no carbs and sugars. Uh, get yourself some good broccoli and salads and maybe even get some uh, a product called Chlorofresh, an intestinal deodorant that you can take pills and get yourself alkalinized so that, you know, you cut down the sugar and the alcohol so you're not feeding them, you know, the organisms. But it can go all the way from moderate to fulminant um, states, disease states. So that's part of why we want people off antibiotics. We find that the minute we get them off, that things start to clear down. You know, unfortunately, you do have to use an antibiotic to treat C. difficile, so they're going to be back on another antibiotic. But um, the other interesting thing, I remember going to a lecture, and it was a wonderful ID physician that presented all the new research that has come out for every different type of infection in the body and the organs of the body. And he went over, you know, what's the latest for pneumonia and urinary tract infection and abdominal infections and skin infections? And the research that's showing that we can reduce the length of the use of the antibiotic. So we typically would get an antibiotic for, say, 10 to 14 days. Or maybe, say, they'd say, take this for seven days. 
take the entire dosing. Don't throw, you know, don't throw it out or don't save it. Well, now they're finding that they can reduce that to five days. Uh, maybe they could reduce the 14 down to seven days. So that's a big challenge because like with anything in medicine, you know, everybody gets indoctrinated and, you know, just memorizes, you know, different dosing patterns, especially physicians, what they have to memorize for all the drugs to treat all the conditions. It's hard to get to them to say, this is the latest research. You can start to reduce these doses. So that's why we're very excited to see PharmDs, we call them. They're pharmacists with a doctorate degree coming into hospitals and either taking over the pharmacy department or taking over the antimicrobial stewardship program. And they are, they are the experts on the drugs. And so very often through their education and their interventions, uh, through their antimicrobial stewardship program, which we call ASP, the ASP program, they're able to teach physicians um, about this new concept is that you don't have to use them so long. And you can, especially if they're not a very severe infection and they're just giving oral antibiotics. So that's kind of a hopeful thing that that might be able to reduce the incidence of CDI. That would be fantastic. And thanks for sharing that, Maureen. And Maureen, uh, can you discuss the new innovative blood culture diagnostic technology with the fast organism identification? Um, It also has the antibiotic susceptibility test results within the seven Mm -hmm. hours. And I know that you're working with um, this in your current role. So if you wouldn't mind taking a moment to explain this. Yeah. Well, it's an interesting story of how I, you know, after doing... 40-some-odd years of infection prevention, I was approached by this company two years ago in the spring of 16, and as they explained this to me, I just couldn't really wrap my head around it. I, you know, one, one thing I realized is that nobody in a hospital monitors routinely bacteremias, does bacteremia surveillance. You know, we only report to, to the CDC MRSA bacteremia. So if you go to a hospital and ask, you know, what is your breakdown of how many people come in septic and did they come in through the ED? Did they go to the ICU? What organisms? How old were they? All that's just not available. So that summer, my son got septic. I came home from traveling at a big, huge abscess, and I rushed him to the hospital. I could see his temp was 105, shaking, chills, clammy, a little bit disoriented, some of the signs of sepsis. And we got there. They put an IV in. They started an antibiotic, and I didn't ask them what antibiotic <laughs> stupid of me. And I left. And when I came back two days later, I had to travel again. He's up in the ICU. He is so sick. And the doctor walked in while I was standing there and said, oh, by the way, we just got the sensitivity back. It's not, it's MRSA. We had him on the wrong antibiotic. So we're going to start the right antibiotic and we're going to put him on isolation. And I stood there and I went, wait a minute. What was that company that called me in the spring? And the, the brilliance of this is that it gets that result in seven hours. It takes like that two to four days for the laboratory to identify the sensitivity, what to treat them with. So mm-hmm. I, you know, they approached me again that fall and I said, you know, I thought firsthand what it'd be like to be a mother losing her child, you know, to a sepsis, a groin infection. And I, I'll help you guys get this, you know, going and, and get this into hospitals so we can save lives. So this, this is a, the only one on the market that does a rapid antimicrobial sensitivity test. We also do the ID. The ID is done in about 90 minutes. And, and there are many others, like one's called the Maldi that can get you in about 40 minutes. And then there's a Verigene and a Biofier that can get you results in about an hour and a half to two hours. So we're very similar to that, except ours is based on a phenotype, it's called, um, as far as identifying the organism. But the brilliance of this is that it gets the sensitivity done. 
within another five or five and a half hours. So the whole run from the time the blood pops positive out of the incubator and they know something's in that blood and they put it on this machine, which takes like five minutes to put a little half a CC in the machine and press the button. It does all the pipetting. It has a camera and a microscope underneath watching the organisms and what they're doing. Are they going to die off to the antibiotic or are they going to overgrow it? And for infectious disease physicians and PharmDs, they want to know the minimum inhibitory concentration called the MIC. That helps them guide their treatment uh, specifically. Some of the other, like the Biofire and the Veragene, can pick up uh, very quickly if it's a resistant organism to certain markers, we call them. And that helps the infection preventionists because they'd be notified, hey, you got to get this person on isolation quickly. Uh, the problem is many hospitals are either not using those or they're not using them for all their specimens. So the IPs have a delay in getting their results back for two to five days, meaning that patient's in the hospital spreading a multiple drug-resistant organism, not on precautions, like my son. He stayed two days in that ICU, basically cross-contaminating MRSA because they didn't know because of that delayed sensitivity. So that's what peaked, has piqued my interest tremendously as an IP. I see this as, as my product. <laughs> this is, you know, for an IP point of view that I can get I, these organisms identified that fast, but I can get that sensitivity within the day. Um, it's not uncommon that a patient comes in through the emergency room, say from an extended care facility, and they put in the holding area while they, you know, they draw the blood and they want to wait before they send them back to see what's going on. The blood pops positive, but now they get to wait two to four days to know what to treat them with. And either they put them on what's called empiric therapy, which can be anywhere from two to four antibiotics, and they leave them on them for days, which is what's wiping out the microbiome and causing C. diff and even other resistant organisms can develop. So, or they send them back to that extended care facility without the results, and then on, on empiric antibiotics or high, high powerful antibiotics, and then somebody's got to remember two to four days later, oh, we got to go check that AST result, the antimicrobial sensitivity test, and see what it was sensitive to. And somebody's got to remember then to call that nursing home and send a care facility and change the antibiotics. So, you know, we should study this. There's just so many problems that we have, but we've never had anything to help us with. Um, this, this is unique. I mean, it just got approved by the FDA last February. And so it's the only one on the market that does a rapid antimicrobial sensitivity test in blood cultures. And um, they're now right now working on respiratory bronchoscopy specimens. And, you know, the goal would be in the future, there'll be other specimens that the system will be able to handle like skin and soft tissue or possibly joint fluid, things like that. But it's just, to me, the IP's product because you're going to reduce resistance and you're going to reduce transmission by being able to get people on precautions faster. So it really is right up our alley, you know, now that I know more about it. And so uh, this is how IP's can help in the battle against antimicrobial resistance is by, by getting these faster diagnostics and kind of collaborating with the laboratory as their champion. And seeing, just like we do with many different products, it's very common for IPs to get involved with, oh, products for the urinary tract and for respiratory equipment and skin, skin care and nursing care and so forth. So um, I really see this as something that will really be a great product for them to champion. Yeah. 
Absolutely. And Maureen, amazing developments and saving lives, excellent yeah. advancements in diagnostics. Thank you so much for sharing that yeah. information with yeah. us. And right now, uh, we're already going to pause for a commercial break. When we return, we will okay. continue discussing the key to preventing C. difficile with our guest, Maureen Spencer. Stay tuned. We'll be back after these messages from our sponsor, Clorox Healthcare. <music> We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. The CDF Foundation offers global community support sessions. CDF can affect anyone at any age at any location in the world. Receive support from topic experts sharing information on nutrition, mental health, C. difficile prevention, treatments, and environmental safety. Get answers to your questions. You're not alone. Support is just a phone call or mouse click away. To register for a session, call the C. diff Foundation at 919-201-1512 or visit us on the web at cdifffoundation.org. To help support the C. diff Foundation, please visit our website, cdifffoundation.org forward slash donate or call toll-free 1-844-4-C-DIFF. That's 1-844-367-2343. Join us in our fight against C. diff and help us continue our mission of educating and advocating for C. diff infection prevention, treatments, and environmental safety worldwide. Through your continued support, we can continue raising C. diff awareness and help save lives. Donate today. Visit cdifffoundation.org. Thank you. Join us on November 8th and 9th at the 6th Annual International C. diff Awareness Conference and Health Expo taking place at the Embassy Suites by Hilton Philadelphia Airport Hotel. For conference information and to register online, please visit the C. diff Foundation's website at cdifffoundation.org or call the main office at 919-201-1512. We can't wait to see you at this year's conference. Call 919-201-1512 or visit cdifffoundation.org and we'll see you in November. Because C. difficile lives on surfaces for weeks, because it infects nearly 500,000 Americans yearly, you need disinfectants you can trust. Clorox Healthcare bleach products, cited by more studies to kill C. diff than any other products. EPA registered to kill C. diff in as fast as three minutes. Trusted disinfectants to kill C. diff spores in hospitals, because even one C. diff infection is too many. Learn more at CloroxHealthcare.com. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. You are listening to C. diff, spores, and more. If you have a question, please send an email to info at cdifffoundation.org. Now, back to our program. Here again is your host, Nancy Kerala. Welcome back to the program, and thanks for joining us today. It's a pleasure to reintroduce our guest, Maureen Spencer, registered nurse, master of education, and board certified in infection control. Maureen joins us today to discuss the key to preventing C. difficile. Welcome back to the program, Maureen. Thank you. You're welcome. Before break, you were discussing the antibiotics and the role that they play in a a C. difficile infection. 
um, you also discussing the antibiotics and the stewardship. Can you explain how the role does, um, what role uh, <laughs> antibiotic stewardship play in preventing C. diff with the uh, infection preventionists and how they contribute to that? Right. So as I was talking about earlier about this, you know, rapid diagnostics, if we we're able to identify in seven hours what's in a blood culture. Uh, in a septic patient, the sickest patients there are, who have a very high mortality rate, we could then reduce those two to four antibiotics they typically are on called the empirics, the empiric therapy. So what the antimicrobial stewardship program, ASP program, is aimed at is exactly that. How can we get people off the empiric therapy and get them on what's called targeted therapy? something that just is going to hit that bug and is appropriate for that bug. Because when you're on empirics, they may give you um, something broad, broad coverage, they call it, where it will kill the gram positives like Staph aureus and it will kill mm-hmm. some gram negatives and maybe even something for fungus or for anaerobes. You know, it depends on the clinical situation. So what happened in 2014, the government, the White House, actually put together a document that was the first publication of it called the National Strategy for Combating Antimicrobial Resistance, Resistant Bacteria, because with all these antibiotics getting used, it's not just C. diff, but it's, as we talked about earlier, MDROs. We're getting a major increase in MDROs, and we won't have anything to treat them with. That's the other frightening thing about this, is that a couple of companies recently, pharmaceutical firms, have pulled out of the antimicrobial development uh, research. They just don't feel it's really worth it to put all that time and effort. So my concern is I've seen it in my career. Every 10 years, one of these really resistant bugs come out. Well, the one coming out now called CRE, there'll be nothing to treat it with, (laughs) you know, if it keeps on moving along at the rate it is. So then what happened in 2007, that was the first publication from the Infectious Disease Society of America, the guidelines for setting up an antimicrobial stewardship program. Okay, so that was seven years before the White House came out with that document. Well, I have to tell you, most places did not have the resources to address these guidelines. I remember being asked by my chief nursing officer, could you handle the ASP program? And I looked at her and I said, absolutely not. I'm just trying to handle the increased outbreak of MRSA in the community and you know all the programs that we were putting into place. I said, and it's also dealing with pharmacy and it's dealing more with infectious disease. Well, back in those days, most infectious disease doctors, I mean, it's still a lot today as well, but they were um, private practices. And so, you know, they're not members of the hospital. They're not employed by the hospital. More of their practices have been bought by the hospital, so they are employees. And we didn't have PharmDs back then. So then in 2016, the IDSA came out with how to implement an ASP program. They actually, and then it was followed by the CDC coming out with the core elements and a checklist for ASP. And then last year, the Joint Commission came out under the pharmacy guidelines that they have the essential partners that have to be involved in the antimicrobial stewardship program. So now everybody has to pull one of these committees together. And, you know, IDSA has done a wonderful job where I think it belongs, more than APIC, you know, our association. They have uh, patient and family educational materials. They have physician and nurse you know, clinical algorithms and pathways of how to treat certain infections. Uh, we also have the Sepsis Alliance organization that's gotten involved in this whole endeavor. And, of course, you, the C. diff Foundation. So there are enough resources now for hospitals to do this. But the problem was, um, you know, when 
when you put these programs into place, you need the resources. And I think that's been a struggle for hospitals is to get those mm-hmm. resources up and running like a PharmD and get the ID involvement. Exactly. And Maureen, can you share with our listeners on how infection preventionists contribute to the Antimicrobial Stewardship Committee? So, yeah, so we do what's called surveillance, and we're required to collect certain healthcare-acquired infections or conditions, both by CMS and by the CDC. And they, they send this information down to a network called the National Health Safety Network, NHSN. So across the country, you know, I think our last I heard was more than 15,000, you know, facilities are sending information to NHSN. And the epidemiologists down there crunch the data and, you know, look at it and they can look at trending and so forth. So C. difficile is one of the ones that gets reported. The problem for us in infection control is what gets reported is what's called a lab ID. The minute the laboratory identifies that it's positive for C. diff, they, what's nice in these electronic medical records, they can trigger precautions right away. So that helps IPs getting people on and off precautions quickly. But it's going to trigger that to be reported to the CDC. Some of the tests, one of them is called PCR, is so sensitive that it can pick up people that are colonized. It's just the C. diff is in their colon, but they actually don't have the toxigenic, you know, kind of poison going through their colon, causing a really severe case of C. diff. So that gets reported regardless because it's identified as lab ID. So some hospitals are now doing a second step in the laboratory to see if it is the toxigenic type um, to be able to report only the real infected patients rather than people that are colonized. So we do do surveillance, and at the ASP committee, uh, most IPs are going to report on those statistics. This is how many C. diffs we had this month. These were the antibiotics that they were on. Um, I remember I used to do that. I used to have a whole case study. I would write up each case. When did they get admitted? When did they, de- did they have surgery? When did they develop their first symptoms, you know, the diarrhea or whatever it was? Uh, what, what antibiotics were they on, and how long were they on those antibiotics? And we would discuss that at the Infection Control Committee, um, you know, and then it would go to the ASP committee. So also they would report the MDROs, the ones I earlier talked about, the Pseudomonas or E. coli or CRE and all of those. So that committee is um, developing a dashboard. And the other things that are on those dashboards, a pharmacy will put in uh, length of therapy and doses of therapy, um, maybe ID physicians might contribute with the consults that they do. The sepsis coordinators might tell them how many rapid responses they had, you know, in taking care of people that are septic, uh, critical cares involved. So it, it's a very multidimensional committee and program, the ASP program. Uh, you know, obviously the microbiology lab, the infectious disease department, the IPs and pharmacy are the, the main players of ASP. But you see often they will expand it to nursing and critical care and maybe in the emergency room, you know, to be able to get a real scope on how antibiotics being used in the hospital. Okay. Thank you so much, Maureen. And Maureen, can you explain what a bundled approach to patient care is? Yeah. So there's a really good paper uh, for, from uh, Anna Barker and all in ITCHI, Infection Control and Hospital Epidemiology in 2017. And it was a comprehensive literature search looking at the effectiveness of bundles for C. diff. And so basically there are about six categories 
um, that are talked about in bundled approaches. So the first one is what we just talked about, the antimicrobial stewardship and the management of antibiotics. But they also might talk about the use of probiotics to put good bacteria back in the colon and reduce the use of proton pump inhibitors. Uh, basically, a lot of us call those antacids. And you can get them over the counter, like a Nexium or a Zantac. And those are going to wipe out your good hydrochloric acid in your stomach or neutralize it so that that's another cofactor that could contribute to C. diff. So they'll, they'll, they'll look at drug management. The second is the whole microbiology, what we call the detection bundle. Are they using the PCR only? Are they doing the two-step testing now to look at the uh, toxigenic um, assay? Uh, what's the testing criteria, nurse-driven protocols, so that nurses are taught how to get the specimen and when to get the specimen? Um, if you, somebody's on laxatives or somebody's on tube feedings, are they having a bowel prep? They can have diarrhea. So we don't want nurses just taking a C. diff test on everybody that has diarrhea uh, because if they're colonized with it, they're going to pop positive and then we're going to have to report that to the CDC. That's our biggest challenge right now is trying to get nurses to be more critical, I call critical thinking when you're going to send something to C. diff. And then they don't have to retest for cure. That's kind of cool that, you know, typically others would have to keep taking other cultures to see, but, you know, once you know it's C. diff and they put them on the treatment and the diarrhea diary stops, if that's the subside, you don't have to, you know, go back and retest it. Then there's a cleaning and disinfection bundle. That's probably the most important is that EVS is involved in, you know, things like the Clorox bleach or sporicides, you know, that are available, making sure all the equipment, the bedside tables, the, you know, all the high-touch surfaces get cleaned with a checklist. Then there's a practice bundle. We talk about the isolation and equipment, dedicating it so it doesn't go in and out of the room. They have their own blood pressure cuff and, you know, thermometers and so forth. And then having administrative people support, we call the people bundle, that you have to have competencies and administrative support and coaches. Some hospitals have got C. diff coaches now, champions that are helping implement things on the nursing units. And then the other one I call a special uh, equipment. We have a lot now of handheld equipment. I see people go into a C. diff room with a cell phone and start talking on it, or the iPads, or the computers on wheels. So those are becoming a big focus with special technology. Um, I know there's one called Phone Soap, for instance, and another one called ReadyDoc, and these are UV devices you can have right in the room and put your small handheld devices in and zap them with uh, UV light and sterilize them. So it's really about keeping the sport counts down and getting these rooms to be clean and disinfected is the major goal as well as reducing antibiotic use. Thank you so much, Maureen. And at this time, we are going to break for a commercial. And when we return, we will continue discussing the key to preventing C. difficile with our guest, Maureen Spencer. Stay tuned. We will return after these messages from our sponsor, Clorox Healthcare. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. Join us on November 8th and 9th at the 6th Annual International C. diff Awareness Conference and Health Expo taking place at the Embassy Suites by Hilton Philadelphia Airport Hotel. For conference information and to register online, please visit the C. diff Foundation's website at cdifffoundation.org or call the main office at 919-201-1512. 
We can't wait to see you at this year's conference. Call 919-201-1512 or visit cdifffoundation.org, and we'll see you in November. Because C. difficile lives on surfaces for weeks, because it infects nearly 500,000 Americans yearly, you need disinfectants you can trust. Clorox Healthcare bleach products, cited by more studies to kill C. diff than any other products, EPA registered to kill C. diff in as fast as three minutes, trusted disinfectants to kill C. diff spores in hospitals, because even one C. diff infection is too many. Learn more at CloroxHealthcare.com. The CDF Foundation offers global community support sessions. CDF can affect anyone at any age, at any location in the world. Receive support from topic experts sharing information on nutrition, mental health, C. difficile prevention, treatments, and environmental safety. Get answers to your questions. You're not alone. Support is just a phone call or mouse click away. To register for a session, call the C. diff Foundation at 919-201-1512 or visit us on the web at cdifffoundation.org. Have you done any of these things today? Exited a restroom? Entered and exited a patient's room? Visited a doctor's office? Have you done this today? Washed your hands? Hand washing remains the single most important task of the day. It takes soap, water, a minimum of 30 seconds, and a clean dry towel to turn off faucets and dry hands to stop giving germs a free ride. Keep safe from germs worldwide. Hand washing, number one in infection prevention. For additional information on hand washing instructions, visit cdifffoundation.org. Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are listening to C. diff, spores, and more. If you have a question, please send an email to info at cdifffoundation.org. Now, back to our program. Here again is your host, Nancy Kerala. Welcome back, and thank you for joining us today. It's a pleasure to reintroduce our guest, Maureen Spencer, registered nurse, master of education, and board certified in infection control. Maureen joins us today to discuss the key to preventing C. difficile. Welcome back to the program, Maureen. Thank you. You're welcome, and thanks so much for being here with us today. You have been a wealth of information, and so many topics you've touched on there are so important to all of our listeners and to all of us. And we know you are so in tune with infection prevention and the infection preventionists. And, you know, would you mind taking a moment to um, explain the typical role and background of an infection preventionist? Yeah. So about 80% of us are nurses. Um, you know, when it started back in the 70s, early 70s, or actually maybe late 60s, um, they were nurses that were recruited for this position like I was. And either they were an operating room nurse or a nurse manager. Or in my situation, I had the micro background. So primarily nurses, but we also have, you know, brilliant and great medical technologists who have come into the field. And, you know, they got the advantage that they know everything about the lab and all these organisms and fine details. And then we also recently have been getting a lot of masters in public health who have been coming on board because there's so many 
uh, statistics and data collection and the surveillance system so complicated. So often they're either brought in as an IT or they work it with a team as their data analyst. So we have, when I, you know, was involved with the early years of APIC, basically we developed standards around certain topics that we had to be experts at. So we have surveillance and statistics. That's kind of like this whole epidemiology. We also have microbiology. We have to have good knowledge in that. We have to have a knowledge of the infectious diseases and their incubation periods and periods of communicability and isolation and treatment that goes along with that. Antiseptics and um, operating room asepsis. We have to know about the central processing area, endoscopy, the operating room, uh, radiology uh, procedures that are done disinfection, so the whole environmental service, how to clean, you know, things about microfiber cloths versus disinfectant dwell times, and there's a lot that goes along with that that we've gotten involved with. Then we have to know how to manage program management. That's a big key thing we do that people don't understand, the complexity of the projects that we, we handle. We also, you know, I talked earlier about product evaluations. I mean, we have to manage those, you know, with the companies and, and uh, with the value analysis teams. And then we do education. We educate housekeepers all the way up to surgeons. So you have to know how to kind of change gears and talk to the different groups. And then employee health. Uh, it's not uncommon that in, in, in a smaller hospital, the infection prevention is also the employee health nurse and has to know all the infectious diseases and issues that they have to deal with, needle stick injuries, scabies, uh, MRSA skin infections, and work restrictions, and all of that, OSHA, bloodborne pathogen standard, and the TB standard from CDC. It, I love this job. It is the most fascinating career because we get to see the entire hospital. We're very unique that we can just go to the ICU, the operating room, central process, endo, radiology. All day long, I would just roam around and, and know, everybody knows us. The entire hospital knows us. And so it's, it's quite a specialty and it's getting harder and harder because of the challenges that we have had with various outbreaks or these new um, Andromeda strains, I call them, some of these organisms that are getting resistant either, even to our last defense antibiotics. So that's, in a nutshell, uh, what the background is. But we also have a certification process where we, every five years, uh, take an exam to be board certified. You know, and it's a bit of a challenge, that exam, because they have to put in new test questions, you know, every few years to keep up with what's the newest and greatest in, uh, in our field. Okay. And Maureen, what, um, what are the standards of practice for infection preventionists? So those would be the ones I talked about, are the surveillance, microbiology, infectious disease, antiseptics and antisepsis, disinfection management, education, employee health. And then we have a competency model that APIC has developed, which um, for hospitals can use. To, how do you train somebody in this field? You know, they, APIC, our Association of Infection Control, has wonderful training programs. Uh, called Epi 1 and Epi 2, um, that IPs can go to and get trained. And then there are others across the country. I mean, I used to offer a three-day uh, certification prep and infection control training course. Uh, we just recently did it up in Boise, Idaho this year. And it's great. It's just for three full days to cover all these areas that I just mentioned to prepare the IP. Yeah. Well. We truly appreciate all of the infection preventionists um, across, you know, not only the U.S., but around the world. And we thank you for yeah. what you do, too. And Maureen, do you have any closing comments you'd like to share before we close the program today? Yes. If you're a health care provider, reduce the amount of antibiotics you're using. 
I mean, that's a, and look at the literature and see if you can reduce the length of treatment. That, uh, that would help alone. And then if you're a c- consumer, you know, a patient, a family type member, again, just really think, do you need an antibiotic? You know, when you go to your doctor, if it's a viral infection, do not take an antibiotic. Uh, if it's not, you know, the strep throat, you know, culture is negative. You don't need an antibiotic. That's the biggest problem. Physicians say they feel pressured by the patients to give them an antibiotic. So that's another way that we all have to participate in this. So just number one thing is to reduce the use of antibiotics. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's wonderful. And that's a really great message for everyone around the world. And Maureen, we thank you for joining us today on C. diff spores and more global broadcasting. And we are grateful for your dedication in the healthcare community and for putting patients first. We thank you for being here. Thank you, Nancy, for having me. I really appreciate it. You're so welcome. And Maureen Spencer will be a presenter at the 2018 uh, 6th Annual Annual International C. diff Awareness Conference. And we hope you'll be there to uh, gain some knowledge from uh, Maureen's presentation. And we're looking forward to seeing you then, Maureen. Okay. Thank you. Okay, thank you. And at this time, the members of the CDF Foundation wish to acknowledge all of the organizations around the globe dedicated to improving health, the organizations and professionals researching and developing new products, addressing C. difficile infection prevention, treatments protecting the gut microbiome, and addressing environmental safety worldwide. To learn more about C. diff infection and recurrent C. diff infection clinical trials in progress, please visit the C. diff foundation's website, www.cdifffoundation.org, and click on the tab, Clinical Trials in Progress. We ask you to please help them to help you to help others. We thank Synthetic Biologics for being a diamond sponsor of the 6th Annual International C. diff Awareness Conference and Health Expo, taking place on November 8th and 9th in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, at the Embassy Suites Philadelphia Airport Hotel. We are grateful for the international keynote speakers joining us for the two-day conference, and we would like also to thank the corporate sponsors, industry leaders, and the CDF community joining us at the two-day event to provide information focused on healthcare-required infection prevention, treatments, environmental safety, and diagnostics. For more information and to register, please visit the CDF Foundation's website. Don't delay as available seating is now limited. We look forward to learning more together with you in November. We send out our get well wishes to all patients being treated and recovering from a C. diff infection uh, at this time and many well and many wellness draining illnesses being combated across the globe. I'm your host Nancy Corrala with our reminder, none of us can do this alone. All of us can do this together. We wish you good health, continued healing and a good day. Thank you for tuning in this week for C. diff, spores, and more. Be sure to join your host, Nancy Kerala, again next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time. That's 1 p.m. Eastern Time for another edition of our program on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. None of us can do this alone. All of us can do this together.